Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. What's going on, everybody? We've got a great guest for you today, the Ranger Angler. Quinn Hollingsworth. We're going to talk about fishing in the 30A area, fishing around Santa Rosa Beach, Destin area. He is a guide there that has a great guide service. I've fished with him before myself. If you're going to be in the area, you definitely want to look him up. He's also a former ranger, and he is doing some great work with my friend Captain Scott Brown to get service members not only out on the water, but also to show them how they can establish a career in the outdoors. So great conversation with Quinn today. If you want to support the podcast, there's a lot of ways that you can do it. We really, really do appreciate you listening to the podcast. Sharing the podcast with others is one way that you can help support the podcast. If you hear something on this or you're going to go to 30A and you listen to this podcast and you got a buddy that goes to 30A all the time, pass them over this podcast so they can hook up with Quinn. If you like what you hear, share it. If you also want to support the podcast in a financial way, the best way to do that is to get the best coffee in the world delivered to your door. Go to blackriflecoffee.com. Use the code BLASTOFF25. You can get a 25% discount on the first month of the coffee club and all kinds of other stuff like a awesome yeti mug make sure you use the code blastoff 25 because that's how you get the best discount that they offer all right on to the show with the ranger angler here we go what's up guys this is quinn hollinsworth the, aka the ranger angler and you're listening to the tom Rowland podcast quinn the ranger angler right on i'm glad to have you on the podcast how you doing man Hey, appreciate it, Tom. Good to see you again. Uh, I'm super stoked to be here. Yeah, well, we had an awesome day of fishing uh, around the 30A area when I was down there visiting. Yeah. I got to go out fishing with you and and my friend Chip. Um, it was a great day, yeah. man. Have you been fishing a lot lately? Yeah, so um, we fished, of course, as fortune would have it. I'm fishing with Tom Rowland, and we get a 30-degree temperature drop overnight. <laughs> Uh, so it was, a uh, an unusual cold front for our, for our day fishing, but I had a blast with you, you know, conversations were priceless and I really enjoyed it. Yeah. Kind of from there kind of swung right into, you know, summertime fishing and all the kids are out of school. So everybody's vacation in 30A. So it was go, 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 uh, pretty much from April all the way up until labor day, um, you know, typical tourist season. Um, but super grateful for all those people that come and visit and come and fish with me. Cause you know, that's how I make my living, Man. but yeah, a lot of fishing, uh, finally kind of finally settling down a little bit. Uh, I've got a lot of October booked up, you know, coinciding with fall break. So I'm excited because fall is my favorite time of the year to fish up here, fall and spring. Um, but fall definitely is like our super bowl of fishing. So excited to get out there. All right. Well, we're going to learn all about what happens in the fall here in just a minute. But before we get started, going to uh, go through the hot seat, which is uh, a series of questions that uh, yep. uh, are simple questions, either or or whatever you prefer. And uh, the first thing that kind of comes to your mind. So you ready to go? 
Let's do it. All right. East Coast or West Coast? East Coast. Early fishing memory or trip that made you a lifetime angler? Fishing Mosquito Lagoon growing up with my granddad. Nice. I can't pinpoint one, but that's that's where it was. Nice. East Coast of or West Coast of Florida? Oof. Long time ago, I would have said East Coast, but live on the West Coast, I'm going to say West Coast now. Okay. Um, spinning rod, conventional or fly? Spinning. Inshore or offshore? Inshore. River or lake? River. Would you have a reptile as a pet? No. <laughs> Me either. Coffee, tea, <laughs> or energy drink? I'm going to go sugar-free Red Bull. Okay. Mountains or beaches? Beaches. Favorite military movie? It's a tough one, but I'm going to have to say Black Hawk Down. Nice. Good choice. Uh, Winter Olympics or Summer Olympics? Winter Olympics. Okay, going out on a limb here to, to, to see if you are a wrestling fan. Favorite professional wrestler of all time? Favorite professional wrestler of all time? I'm going to have to say uh, like Brock Lesnar. Yeah, that's a good one. Also, possibly favorite amateur wrestler of all time, Brock Lesnar. Yeah, he was good. Um, all right. Sunrise or sunset? Sunset. Best catch in your career? Best catch in my career, over 50-inch redfish that I got an 86-year-old Marine Corvette on. Uh, so that was my, one of my most memorable An 86-year-old Marine Corvette catches that fish? We hadn't caught anything slow day. He, uh, I had... You know, bottom of the ninth, and I throw out a popping cork with one big shrimp at this point. It immediately goes under, and uh, he, uh, he he fought it like a champ. Uh, it was really a team effort, but, yeah, it was, it was, it was pretty special. Fantastic. Uh, a movie that always makes you laugh. A movie that always makes me laugh super bad. <laughs> yeah, it does. Uh, text or calls? I'm a call guy. Last book you remember reading or your favorite book? Last book I remember reading um, was, well, I'm going to go favorite book, which is Last of the Mohicans. Nice. Rock country or other? Country. Okay. Uh, Instagram or Twitter? Definitely Instagram. One thing you're afraid of? One thing I'm afraid of heights, believe it or not. I believe it. Office, friends, or parks and rec? Definitely the office. <laughs> Me too. Uh, one piece of technology you rely on heavily other than your phone? Other than my phone, piece of technology other than my phone. I'm going to have to go computer. Okay. Uh, favorite fish? Redfish. Android or iPhone? iPhone. Audio, paper, or Kindle for books? Audiobooks. Chocolate or vanilla? Chocolate. Fishing with clients or fishing by yourself? Fishing with clients. One piece of advice that has served you well? Uh, treat every day like it's your last because you never know when you're going to go. Boom. Right on. All right. You cruised through that uh, quickly. So um, some interesting answers. Uh, nothing yep. that took me by surprise. Uh, I don't know. You seem like maybe you might have a snake for a pet. I don't know. <laughs> not me though. Yeah, not not me, man. I don't know. I you know I've I've seen them. I've 
seen plenty of them. I've handled them and, uh, you know, but I just, you know, some people get those pythons and they just start growing and growing and growing. <clears throat> and I'm like, man, that's, uh, probably not, not up my alley. Yeah. My neighbor in Key West had a, uh, python that he had this long cage on the, on, on the fence, which was this tiny little, basically the the cheapest fence you can possibly get not not necessarily particle board but like the cheapest right. fencing material you can get and there was this big big cage on the other side of this thing and my kids are tiny at the time and he yeah. had about a about a 12 foot python in there oh my gosh and i was just like man i don't i don't yeah. know man those things <laughs> like, will wrap you up I, I know so my answers would be would you have a reptile as a pet no and one thing you're afraid of snakes so, yeah, <laughs> I'm not going to have I one. Hear that. I, I'm afraid of snakes. Yeah, too. So. I mean, I like I'll I'm not like to I, I guess I am afraid of snakes, but I don't know if that would be my first answer. I would probably say heights, too. Like, yeah. So when you're so you're a former ranger and yep. you didn't you um, jump out of airplanes? All the time. Yeah, I was a jump master. You know, I'd send my guys out the door. But uh, I'd be sitting here lying if I didn't say <clears throat> every time the Air Force opened up that door, we were riding in that helicopter to jump. You know, my heart was boom, 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 boom. But um, <clears throat> excuse me. I think it was a good thing, though, because it kind of always kept me on point. I was always told, you know, if, if you're, you know, you get lackadaisical up there, uh, that's when things go wrong. And so I think having that healthy fear really kept me on point. Um, but, yeah, I hated jumping out of airplanes. Uh Scott Brown, you know him as well. He hated it too. A lot of guys hate it, but it's just, you got to do it, man. Yeah. And you're not going to chicken out in front of all your buddies. So did you, um, do you think it's different? Like when you look out of an airplane and you've got a parachute on and you're ready to go and, and you're in that situation versus like going to, have you ever been to one of those buildings in New York or one of those places where that it's like got a leaning window like this and you kind of lean out there a little bit. Do you know, you know what right. I'm talking about? Do you find a difference? Yeah, in okay. the, yeah. Well, that scares me to death. Like that really, really, uh, I mean, it, it like puts me super on edge to, to do that. I don't know why, but I think it, and, and I've never jumped out of an airplane, but I wonder if there's a difference between like the feeling that you get from, from like you say, you know, you're always getting kind of, you know, you, you feel it when you're about to jump out of an airplane, but then you get there and you're in a situation where you, just a second ago you were just walking around and then you look out yeah. over there and it's like, whoa, like, do you feel a difference in those kind of two situations? Um, yeah, you know, they're kind of, but I still feel like that in the pit of my stomach, you know, you look out and you see like, yeah, I have, may have a parachute strapped to my back, but I'm still like, you know, I feel like my heart's in my stomach sometimes. And I'll tell you what really bothers me is if you go to like a big hotel, you know, whatever, 13, 14 story hotel, and you get up out on the balcony and you put your hands on the balcony, you lean over, you look, and it feels like kind of like light aluminum. And I'm like, man, you know, what my kids were up here, or like, what if this thing were to break? And I, I kind of get that same feeling. So uh, yeah, I think just heights in general, Tom, I mean, it, yeah. it, they just kind of both do it for me. Did you see that video recently of, uh, Travis Pastrana jumping out of there, uh, out of a airplane, no parachute. And he's yes. jumping out with, with, you know, four other people or whatever, man, that guy just, yeah. he did it so, so calmly and effortlessly. Like it didn't even seem yes. like he seemed more comfortable without the parachute. Like, I don't what is how is a guy like that wired 
he is a wild man. Um, you know, I mean, obviously with all the stunts he does on dirt bikes and everything else, I mean, he's probably, you know, obviously a risk taker, but man, I don't, I don't know that I could jump out without a parachute. We, we better have to do like about a thousand rehearsals on that thing before I'd even have a slight bit of comfortability. But I did see that video. I remember thinking like, gosh, so many things could go wrong here, but, um, he did it and yeah, linked up with his buddies and they strapped him up and landed safely. Uh, so they so. did strap him up. You think like, because he jumps out and he is, he's not wearing anything. Like, I mean, he's no, got shorts that. on or something, but he, and then, you know, he does a couple of flips, he goes down yep. and they, they come and get on top of him. And then that's the last us. Then it, then it like backs way off and you see the parachute open. But I would think like, I don't know. I would think that if you like were going to do that, you would have a harness on and then you would get in there clip, 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 and you'd be good. Yeah. But he had nothing on. So what he had to like put something on as he's free falling, you think? I think what the way I saw it was the guy got kind of on top of him. And I, you know, you, you're right. It does pan out, but I, if I'm pretty sure that they had strapped him up, but he didn't have like a pre-rigged, no. you know, chest rig where they could just quick pop in and, and get him. So yeah, I may have to go back and look at that video. I just remember thinking that is insane, man. I'm just thinking how hard would that be to put something on like that as you're free falling? I mean, the only, the only comparison I can make is, trying to put a rain jacket on when you're, when you're running, uh, you know, on plane, <laughs> that's not yeah. easy to do. I mean, the thing's flying no, everywhere, <laughs> you know, you're yeah. trying to get your other arm in there. I mean, that is like not, not easy to do, but anyway, that guy is, he's a, he is, he's a maniac, I guess, but a, a controlled maniac, you know, like, yes. like, um, he, he seems to only take risks that he's comfortable taking and understands, but, I don't know. He was down in the Keys, and um, I guess he jumped off a building in Miami. He was doing something in the Keys, and then he went to, up to Miami, and he he base jumped off something and and broke broke his leg or something. I don't know. Mm. I mean, he's got to have a lot of injuries. I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm sure. I got a I got a Ranger buddy, uh, Stephen Travers. He does a he does a lot of like he'll get a lot of base jumping or real big. Um, you know, bridges and he jumps out and, you know, let's parachute go at the last minute. And I'm just like, you're wild man. Uh, but yeah, definitely a lot can go wrong. And I remember, yeah, I think Travis broke his legs or something. It was, it was pretty wild. He looks like he's doing fine now. The miracle yeah. of modern, uh, modern technology and, and surgery. Like that's incredible that you could, you could rebound from that and, uh, and be able to keep doing it. Um, how long were you in the military? Um, so I was in the military, uh, just shy of 15 years. Um, I, uh, medically retired. Um, I, you know, had a few injuries that were requiring me to be on some certain medications and, uh, where I was at in my time, uh, in my life, um, they offered me a medical retirement and, uh, yeah, I, I decided that that was, you know, kind of my best course of action. I'd been gone a lot with my family. So, uh, yeah, just shy, of, just shy of 15 years. What, uh, what was the decision-making process for you to get for, for you to go to the military? What, what, how, at what age did you kind of decide that it's something you wanted to do? Yeah. So I joined a little bit later. Um, you know, I was, I was in high school when nine 11 happened. 
obviously a lot of guys, you know, felt felt the urge and need to 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 serve after 9-11. And, and, and I did too, but um, I decided, I was like, hey, I'm going to go. Uh, I want to get get some knock some college out first. Uh, so went to college uh, for a couple of years down in Central Florida. Didn't really pan out. Um, so, you know, I think I enjoyed hanging out with my buddies a little more than I liked studying. So kind of dropped out of college. Always knew I wanted to be in the military. Uh, my granddad served in World War II. I had an uncle. He was a special forces in Vietnam. So I said, man, you know, let me give this uh, military thing a shot. You know, I, I asked for the shortest active duty contract they could give me. Um, and uh, yeah, did the did uh, about three years. I said, man, I'm pretty good at this. And um, yeah, you know, joined Ranger Ranger Regiment uh, early on. Didn't really know what a Ranger Battalion was, to be honest. You know, some kids come in, they're like, I'm going to be a Navy SEAL. I'm going to be a Green Beret. I'm going to be a Ranger. I was just like, hey, I want to serve. I want to pay off some of this college debt. And uh, yeah, when I got, when I was in basic, uh, Ranger Recruiter came in and kind of did the overview. And uh, I decided, hey, I want to, if I'm going to do this, I want to be with some of the best guys on the ground. So join Ranger Regiment and the uh, rest was history. That's awesome. Two of my, fr two of my uh, son's friends just went through Ranger school and uh, oh, really? successfully passed. And um, uh, Jacob, you know, shout out to Jacob and, and James. James is uh, a little further ahead of, of Jacob, but he just went through Seer too. And then uh, he is uh, on his way to being a, we a weapons specialist. And uh, cool. what, a, what a cool uh, road that is to for the weapons specialist. I didn't realize what you what all you have to do, but basically you have to yeah. like understand every weapon there is. It's incredible. Oh, yeah, um, yeah. They uh, they train on all the different weapons. It's uh, that's that's really cool. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So that is a that is a very challenging road. Um, the like, like what you did and what they're doing now, because I'm, I'm learning from them. Like they're, you know, they, they would come and work out at my place and everything all through high school. And, and, uh, both of them are just, they're, they're, they're the right kind of guy. Um, yeah, cool. but, but yeah, that's, that's cool. So, um, and then where does the fishing, uh, come into play with, was, was that something that you, I mean, you mentioned that you fished with your granddad and Mosquito Lagoon growing up. Um, but yep. where, 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 like, did you kind of, uh, circle back to fishing after your military career or like, uh, like Jamie Caldwell, like it was something yep. that you did on every, every break. Yeah, that, that's a great question, Tom. Um, so, you know, kind of backtrack a little bit. I grew up in East central Florida. Um, so probably like, I just tell people Orlando, people don't know about Geneva or Vito or that area. Um, but, you know, I was about 20, 30 minutes from uh, Mosquito Lagoon, Indian River area. And I grew up fishing with my dad and my granddad just inshore. We'd fish on little gnus and little John boats and uh, catching trout and redfish. So it was something that I just grew up doing. It was just normal for me. Um, if I wasn't uh, fishing, I was surfing. So I was just like a little salty kid. Uh, I just loved anything to do with the salt water. So, you know, I, I joined the army. Um, I've always said like God's looked out for me because I've I've been I was able to be near saltwater my entire military career, which is hard considering we're a land-based organization. Um, but being in first ranger battalion in Savannah, uh, I was right by the the ocean and all the saltwater inshore creeks that run through Savannah and the low country. 
So got a boat after, you know, a couple deployments, uh, I would, I would just land, land fish, you know, up into the creeks, catching redfish and trout. But I think after like my second or third deployment, uh, I got, got a little skiff, um, and started fishing. And so if I wasn't training or I wasn't deployed, I would come back home and I would go fishing. And I think that was like kind of my outlet for to decompress and I still loved it. And, you know, I had my son with me. I had my son very early on in my army career and uh, I would take him fishing or if not, I'd take other ranger buddies. And yeah, it was just kind of like my way to decompress. And it was like, I'd be on deployment, you know, I'd be in Afghanistan reading Florida sportsman or, you know, streaming saltwater experience, getting yes. hyped up, getting ready to go. And I'd get back and I was on it, you know, obviously spend some quality family time as soon as I get off the plane. But when it was, uh, when I had some free time, I was on the boat and I was chasing trout and redfish and, you know, the low country fishery is just incredible. Really enjoyed fishing there completely different from what I was used to growing up, uh, especially, you know, Indian river, Mosquito lagoon. Then you go to the low country where you can have, you know, you're chasing flood tides. You got a 13 foot yeah. tide swing. Uh, so it took a little bit to figure that out, but really enjoyed my time there. Beautiful area and fishery. So yeah, I love it. That flood tide fishing where the fish get up in mm. the grass is, is really one of the coolest things. Um, I've experienced that with my friend Perry Peace that's right out of uh, Pauly's Island, South Carolina. Yeah. And uh, it's like, that's just the, the, the ultimate for, what I've seen of the fishing in, in, in that type of area. And what happens is if, if you've never been there, it, the tide gets up so high that it covers over this Spartina grass and the redfish go to a place that previously was dry. And they are up there in this grass and you are literally walking through this ankle deep grass and you can see them tailing and you throw in there and there's a ton of grass to, to navigate. And if you can get your fly to, not get hung in that grass and and present it in a way that it it looks like the fish or or for the fish they they feel like they found it instead of it just crashing in on them you can get a, one of the most incredible bites like redfish biting on the surface on gurglers or or you know shrimp flies or whatever but that is literally one of the coolest fishing situations like you you, you when you're doing it it's like this is a place that a fish shouldn't be like they, they shouldn't right. just, just a couple of hours ago, this was dry mud. Yeah. And now this fish is up here just, just happy as he can be, but it's not going to, it's a very fleeting thing. It's not going to last very long. And if you pick the wrong spot and there are no tailors up there, you probably missed it for the day because there's not going to be a lot of resetting, uh, because the tide moves in and out so quickly there. Um, I love that though. Yeah, it's it's just like you said, man. A couple hours earlier, this place was completely dry, and then that tide comes in, and those redfish are coming in, chasing those little fiddler crabs or mud minnows, and yeah, they got their backs out of the water, and they're just face down, and it's you kind of got to experience it. You know, there's a lot of guys doing a lot of cool videos, a lot of great anglers up in that area, but um, and you know, which they give you a great perspective on it, looking at it video wise, but until you experience it, it's, it's something, it's definitely something to be seen. Yeah. yeah. Like you said, it is, it's awesome. So tell me about what you and, and Scott are doing, um, as far as taking, uh, veterans and, and other people from, from your community fishing. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, great question, Tom. So obviously Scott Brown, you know him well, he was on your podcast, yeah. uh, green beret combat diver. Um, 
kind of me and him met through social media years ago, probably like seven years ago. That's goes to show like the power of social media. And, um, we ended up linking up and we became really close friends and started fishing a lot. And, you know, I was transitioning out of the military. He was doing the same. We both had our love for fishing. So we were like, Hey man, like we were just fishing one day and we were kind of brainstorming and we, we thought of brave waters guide service because for a lot of like, I don't want to say it's the status quo for like former special operations guys getting out of the military. But a lot of those guys are either going to get their MBA or they're working, working for a fortune 500 company or a contracting company. Um, and we were like, Hey, let's, uh, what if we show these guys? Cause we both got our captain's license. What if we show that there's another outlet for service members when they're transitioning out of the military, you know, you don't gotta, you can pursue a career in the outdoors. So we kind of came up with a plan and we, we started brave waters guide service, uh, where basically we'll take transitioning service members. We'll mentor them, you know, help with their captain's license. Um, and you know, once, once they get established, we'll have them guide kind of under us, uh, to get their feet wet, you know, maybe for a year or two. And then if they want to keep guiding with us, Hey, great. If not, then they kind of go and do their own thing, but we're there to, to show them how to do it and show them how to do it the right way. And, you know, it, we also looked at it like how, you know, in Ranger Regiment or special forces or any, any soft community, you kind of like specially select and train people. It's not really for everybody. Um, so we were, we were, we're looking for like a certain type of person, you know, and nobody's excluded, but you kind of got to fit that, that mold, um, that we're looking for. And so that was over a year ago, we started that and it's kind of slowly morphed into brave water solutions, which is another subsect of our company where we're providing maritime training, uh, to, you know, law enforcement, DOD, uh, search and rescue, uh, Scott comes in with a lot of his combat diver experience and he can teach a plethora of information because we basically said, Hey man, we, we got a lot of info on a lot of this maritime stuff, but we're not using it. And so just through the right connections and a few people, um, we've been able to land a contract, you know, helping out with maritime navigation, search and rescue. Um, Scott's more on the VBSS, you know, vehicle board search and seizure type side, but yeah, we, we offer guide service for transitioning service members. And then we also offer uh, to DOD law enforcement, you know, whoever needs it, search and rescue, maritime navigation, uh, things along, things along that nature. That's really cool. I didn't know about the Brave Water Solutions. How long has that been going? Yeah, on? that's a, that's a, that animal's kind of like morphed pretty fast over the past, I'd say six months. Um, but me and Scott have put a lot of work into that. And uh, we kind of found that there was a, a need within the industry. And again, we have a lot of knowledge uh, in that area and we thought, Hey, let's not let this knowledge just go to waste and see if we can help people out. So That's yeah, cool. it's, it's been, been pretty good. So the, the organizations or agencies or, or people that need that type of training, is that going to be mostly in Florida? Or are you finding that anywhere on the coast or even on uh, inshore freshwater lakes? Like what, where, yep. where's the need? Um, yeah, great question. So right now we're kind of just looking around Florida right now. And like I said, we, we have already landed a, we've gotten a contract and, um, it's going to be Florida based local to this area, but anything on the water, you know, it could be 
a huge lake, a huge lake in South Carolina. It could be, you know, somewhere where there's a, a, a dam or nuclear power, anything like that. Uh, any, anything on the water, you know, we're not trying to pigeonhole ourselves into, Hey, just bays and tributaries, estuaries. Uh, but really we want to be able to provide that training to anybody who's on a boat who is doing something, whether security, et cetera, but anybody, anybody of water, you know, we're, we're willing to branch out. Yeah, that's that's pretty cool. Like uh, you would think that like the the water agencies like the Coast Guard and the FWC and all of that, they probably have some of their own training. But I don't know. I mean, are those are when do they look for specialty training situations like like that um, for, for their people? They do. There's a lot of grants out there for that. And, you know, me and Scott have been plugged in with a lot of the law enforcement community. And basically, you know, they do a lot of in-house training, um, but they're also open to, hey, having guys come in, teach a certain niche um, aspect of maritime operations. And so, yeah, there, there is a need out there for it, you know, and sometimes it's easier for them to outsource that type of training. Um, but yeah, you know, they, like you, like you said, there, there is some of the in-house training that goes along with that, but, you know, we feel that we can provide a certain capability, um, above and beyond just your regular train the trainer type of situation. Yeah. So it's, it's the needs out there and, uh, yeah, we're beating down that door. Yeah. But beyond those two things, you're just take regular people fishing too, right? Correct. Yep. Yep. We're and, doing that too. And so tell me the area that you that you typically fish or where if someone was coming to a certain area that you would be somebody that they might call or Scott or both, all of you, your, your whole service. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So me and Scott live about like 15 minutes away from each other. We're up here in the 30A, a little North of the 30A area. Um, Choctahatchee Bay is really kind of like our, our main uh, base of operations. Scott's going to Port St. Joe, though, you know, Apalachicola. Um, I'm more fishing local here. Um, and again, we still both have our own guide services going on at the same time. So, you know, he's he's got a trip right now. He's out on the water with Push It Good Inshore. And I got a trip this afternoon with my Ranger Angler fishing charters. And um, so we're, we're, we're fishing these areas. But if somebody wants to come fishing with Brave Waters, likely you're going to encounter Choctahatchee Bay, um, which is, again, kind of encompasses... 30A, Santa Rosa Beach, and then you got Destin out to the west, then Fort Walton Beach. But we're more on the eastern portion of the bay, but we we really encompass the entire bay, Choctahatchee um, Bay. That area is, man, it's so popular, and so many people go it down is. there. And it's so nice, too. I mean, man, those beaches there, the beaches yeah. in that area are the, the whitest, cleanest, nicest beaches I think I've ever been to. Uh, uh, one other that would be really close would be Naples. Like the Naples beach, yeah. that one is like sugar. Like it's like so f the, f the, the sand there is so fine. And it's like up in your area, it's just a little coarser sand, but still just amazing. Like that, those beaches are, those are some of my favorite beaches I've ever been on. Oh yeah. It's uh it's beautiful up here. I'm, so blessed and fortunate to call this place my home you know like you said the water they, they don't call it the emerald coast for nothing um the, the sand is amazing the water is sometimes you know i'm like man maybe i should take a trip to the bahamas or something and but then i look out in my own backyard and i'm like man the water looks like the caribbean it's beautiful and you know it's it's just such a beautiful 
area and you know it's really popular i think the secret's out i think you know you ask locals 20 30 years ago about 30a and they're like man there was cows on the beach there wasn't there wasn't anything over here and it's really kind of blown up over the past couple decades and yeah you know people just love this area so secret's kind of out but but i don't blame them for wanting to come here one thing i always forget to do when when i'm talking to somebody and they start talking about what they do and where they go is 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 people have to wait until the end of the podcast to find out how to get in touch with you. So I don't want to do that now, but I do want to do that now. How does somebody, if they wanted to come, if they were going to the 30 area and any, anywhere, Santa Rosa, all of that stuff, even all the way over to probably Apalachicola, I would imagine they could call you or, yeah. or Scott, but how would they get in touch with you or brave waters? Um, yes. Yeah, great question. So uh, Brave Waters Fishing on Instagram, Facebook. Uh, we also have our, our website, bravewatersfishing.com. Um, myself, I have rangeranglerfishing.com. Uh, you can find me on Instagram at the ranger angler. Um, and yeah, that's usually the easiest way, Facebook, Instagram, uh, and just Google. If you just Google ranger angler fishing, uh, one of those will pop up. And uh, same with Brave Waters. Mm-hmm. So yeah, appreciate you letting me plug that well, in, Tom. Of course, yeah. I mean, people are, they're always, I, I get so many emails like, who should I go fishing with here or there? And uh, eventually I'm going to put all the people that I've had on the podcast on a single page uh, where people can go back and listen to the episode and then, um, oh, very cool. yeah. then, then actually have all their contact information um, because you could, I mean, a lot of people are using it as a resource. But tell me about, tell me about the fishing um, in October, in the very beginning of, of the podcast, you, you were talking about how the fall is the Super Bowl of your fishing and what you look forward to all year long. Tell me about what's getting ready to happen or what is happening right now as we're talking in the very beginning of, of uh, latter, latter part of September, the first part of October. Um, what, what is getting ready to happen or what's happening in your area now? Yeah. So again, you know, like I had said earlier, it's, it's my favorite time to fish and it's really our Super Bowl of fishing here in the, in the Bay. Um, so come fall, uh, we get a really big push of big bull redfish. And I'm talking, you could have schools of hundreds, just orange backs sticking out of the water and they're just going after Menhaden. Uh, but they're coming out of the ocean, coming into the Bay to spawn and they spawn all, all through the fall. And so they're so hungry and ferocious eaters. And, uh, you know, again, like I said, it's not uncommon to see a hundred 35 inch to 40 inch redfish just backs like, out of the water. Just like the one that's behind me right there. You see that one? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. I, my son yep. caught that one in Louisiana, same kind of deal. Fall, fall fishing, yeah. big giant school. Um, but that's, that's awesome. And you see bird activity and, um, yep. and then your water is clear, like super clear when that's happening, right? It is. Yeah. For, for the most part, depending on the winds and, uh, you know, the direction around, but yeah, the water's fairly clear. Um, most of, most of this time of the year. Um, and, and I, my kind of tactic that I use in the fall is I got a lot of plugs tied on top water. Um, maybe a few big swim baits. Um, and usually I just get my clients in the boat. We take off, I'll kind of make big circles around the bay and I'm looking for, you know, those birds just diving because those birds are diving, eating the menhaden. And usually when those birds are diving on those big schools of menhaden, you're going to find those, those big schools of bull redfish. And, uh, 
they're so for they're, they're eating so much and and just in such a feeding frenzy i'll motor full throttle like ran you know all the way up to them uh just kill the engine i tell my clients hey get up on the bow of the boat and then just start pitching into them and it's usually it's not uncommon to have three four you know hooked up at the same time it can get a little chaotic uh but it's it's really run and gun type of fishing i love doing it and for a client who's never caught a redfish or never experienced catching a redfish it's it's really a special time um i always joke i say this time of year you could throw a coke can out there and they'd probably eat it uh it's this this certain time of year you know you had mentioned louisiana that's why i'm kind of mentioning louisiana as well uh this is the only time i say hey i feel like we're on kind of on par with louisiana uh Outside of fall, definitely not. There's no place like Louisiana. Uh, it's it's one of the best red fisheries I've ever experienced. But in the fall, it's it's pretty pretty darn good here. Yeah, man, I got to experience that with with you guys one time because I, I I've seen the videos and I just just haven't been in that area at that time of the year to to see it. But the videos that I see on Instagram and other places just amazing. Are you able to stay on those schools for very long, or do they kind of push up and go down like our, our tuna yep. or other things that we have uh it seems like kind of a fleeting thing you might catch one or two or hook up four and then they go down and where do they go you, i mean sometimes it's hard to find them again but what what's your experience on staying on them or finding them again yeah that's a great question well there's that kind of depends on a couple things um i don't blame you know Hey, all, all the guides, we're all trying to put our clients on the best fish. And if we're in like a pretty populated area and that those bull redfish start busting, uh, it depends if there's seven other guides, which I'm friends with all the guides here. So it's not a knock on them. I, I love all the, all the folks that fish here. We kind of all just motor up to them and everybody start, we kind of, you know, beat the heck out of that school. Um, but usually everybody's hooked up. We get, we get them to the boat. Uh, they may stay up for, you know, three to five minutes, uh, then they're going to go down. And then it's back to, you know, getting the binos out, uh, hope, hoping that they come back up. But they're not going to stay on the surface more than a few minutes if it feels like an eternity when you're fishing them. But, yeah, you know, depending on how many how many people are picking off that school is going to really determine how long they're going to stay up and, and how how long you'll see them up there. Um, but usually once they go down, um, you can find them again. And it's just a matter of, you know, running and gunning you know, which way they're moving, heading, they're heading east, they're heading west. It's kind of, you know, like I said, I'm friends with a lot of the captains here and we kind of have a group chat going and Hey, school moved to the east. Uh, so many hundred yards or, Hey, they're off at this point. Uh, this time of year, we're kind of all helping each other out. We, you know, we want everybody to eat. Right. So, uh, yeah, we, we, it's kind of a team effort, but yeah, they, they will go down and you just got to find them again. Now, do, doesn't that same activity happen right along the, the beach? <clears throat> in certain areas like yep. i don't know about your area but it seems like some of the videos that i'm seeing it just looks like they're, they're just right off the beach i don't i mean that's the way it looks to me but i don't know i've never been there to do it yet yeah a lot of the destin guides i'm friends with a lot of destin guides and uh they'll get them right off the beach um just in huge pods and you know you're they're picking them off crystal clear water and uh yeah same thing happens off the beach i i really tend to rely more to the bay since i'm on the far eastern portion you know the bay is roughly 40 miles wide so for me to get out the pass and go out the beach um, it's a decent run so i don't really do that that much but yes you can get them off the beach and you can get them in the bay man nice that sounds so that sounds awesome i'd love to see that one day yep. <laughs> um 
And then you also fish for black drum a lot, right? Yeah, I do. Yeah, we've been seeing more black drum in uh, in Flamingo and some of the other areas that that we fish, and they're even a they're even a uh, a species that is is included in in a tournament. So. Really? Always, yeah, in the Herman Lucerne tournament, <clears throat> you can catch all oh, these yeah, different yeah, yeah. species, and then you can either catch a black drum or a black bass. One of my best fishing memories uh, I've ever had is that Rich and I, we caught every species in this tournament except for um, a bonefish and one of those two species, right? So black drum yeah. or black bass, which is a largemouth bass, a freshwater fish. And on the second day of the tournament, we had to go out and we didn't know how to catch a black drum. Like we don't, we didn't see them very often. And when we did see them, we didn't pay any attention to them. And here we are in a competitive situation where we could win this tournament. And it, it, you feel kind of silly because like you've seen black drum a lot, but when the, if somebody says, okay, go catch a black drum now, <clears throat> you're kind of like, yeah. oh man. I don't know. <laughs> I think we're going to strike out here. So we uh, ended up catching a bonefish and a largemouth bass. That's how we. That's how we ended up winning that tournament that day. Um, wow! Which to me was like, those are, you know, I grew up in Tennessee catching largemouth bass, and then a bonefish was this exotic species that I didn't, that I had no experience with when I got down to the Keys, and I was learning all about it, and it just seemed like they were so far apart but when you look at the everglades national park you can catch a bonefish and a largemouth bass in the same day but yeah <laughs> it's it's cool but i wanted to talk to you about the black drum uh because we're 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 you know trying to figure out we're seeing them more and we're paying attention to them and we're catching them some but i want to be better at catching them how, how what's your uh strategy with the black drum how, what kind of situations do you find them in and what what do you what what are your tactics to that you use to catch them? And the ones that you're catching are way bigger than the ones that we're seeing. But I think that's I think that's common that the further north you go, the bigger the fish get. Uh, fish are, are are often the biggest in the northernmost portion of their range, um, which is interesting. I don't know that if you've had that same experience, but that's certainly my experience. Yeah, no. So um, yeah, the black drum. I wouldn't say they're. You know, every trip I'm catching black drum, but I do know how to target them up here. And a lot of the black drum that we're catching, some of these fish are, you know, 15, 20 year old fish. Um, and they're, you know, they're like their cousin redfish. They're where they're, they're not, you're not going to see them up in the school of like a hundred black drum. You know, you may see a, a decent sized school of black drum, um, but I don't really sight fish for black drum. That's more of kind of a waiting game. Um, you know, I had a client, two days ago, she caught, she fished with me last year. She caught a couple huge black drum and then she caught another huge black drum. Um, but the way I target those guys, uh, Carolina rigs with a piece of shrimp, you know, it could be a stinky piece of shrimp, live shrimp. Um, and I, I usually find them around structure. So we have a lot of, there's some rock pilings on the Eastern portion. Uh, we got some river mouths, um, that I'll target, but I usually find them in that like murkier water, kind of cruising around the structure. And, and the way I do it, it's just kind of a waiting game. I'll throw a Carolina rig out with a piece of shrimp. Um, it's nothing fancy, but those black drum got a really great sense of smell. And I've found that if you 
if you get that, you throw out enough lines and you just let them sit and kind of marinate for a little bit, those black drum are usually going to find that, that piece of shrimp or, you know, even heck fish bites. If you don't, you don't have live shrimp, they'll eat it. Uh, but usually around structure, like I said, and in kind of some of those little, little river mouths that we have over here, um, that's, that's where I'm usually finding them and super fun fish to catch, you know, it's mixed opinion out there on the big ones. They'll say, oh, it feels like you're reeling up a kettlebell. And, but I, I've, I've had quite the opposite experience. I've, they, I've had some really good fights and good runs on light tackle with those bigger black drums. So I enjoy catching them. Um, yeah. Yeah, they seem they seem like a good target. Um, you know, and a lot of people do yeah. uh, sight fish them also. Like they, yeah. they, and I've Absolutely. seen them in Louisiana. And a couple of times I saw them in Louisiana. And, uh, you know, the 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 person i'm fishing with is just like man we're not catching those like we're fishing all artificial yeah. and everything and and yeah. they're just like there's just you can sit here and fish for them all you want but they're not gonna they're not gonna bite uh which i found kind of an interesting challenge like but we're also right, yeah. we're also uh back in those times that i'm thinking about we're we're, we're pre-fishing for a redfish tournament and anything outside of, of fishing for a 27 inch redfish is a waste of time at that point which yeah is one of the things about tournament fishing that I don't like is that I don't think that there is a waste of time in fishing. Like now right. I, I look at it, I'm like, yeah, I mean, it, it'd be a great experience to learn how to catch those. I mean, they're a fish, they eat, they're obviously big. Uh, you could figure out how to catch them. And, but you know, when you're, when you're a tournament red fisherman, the last thing you want to do is, is catch a, a 25 pound black drum and have to fight that thing for a while because every second that you're fighting that you're not finding the the tournament yeah. winning redfish so um kind of glad that those days are over for me and i can explore new uh opportunities like the like the black drum i want to i want to fish in yeah. places where i can sight cast for them and and uh learn how to catch them better but i i think that it does come down to their sense of smell from what everything that i've heard from from everybody that i've asked lately and and that is the kind of the common thing is that you you know throw out a shrimp or something yep. that they can find and that seems to be the thing too is that they need to be able to find it rather than crashing it into their you know, like a permit, like you put it, you, you yeah. don't necessarily want a permit to, to, you don't want to throw it so far out in front of a permit that, that they just kind of happen upon it. You want them to see it kind of falling. And there are other fish that, yeah. that you, um, that that's the idea is like, you want it to, you want them to kind of, um, discover it, but in a way that it's not like all of a sudden it's right in their face. It's like, uh, it's just kind of right. falling in the corner of their eye. That's like, that's the yeah. idea. And, uh, but it doesn't Absolutely. seem like that with the black drum. I mean, from, and I, I'm no black drum expert by any stretch of the imagination. This is probably the, out of all the species we have in the Florida Keys, it's the one I encounter maybe the least. So I know the least about black drum. That's why I'm, that's why I'm asking. It's, is just, uh, you know, what, what common approaches are to them. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and I get it, you know, circling back to what, you know, you and Rich in your tournament days, you know, there's a significant amount of money on the line. And it's like, I've tournament fished locally here. And I know like, man, the eye on the prize is that 27 inch redfish. And, you know, you're so honed in on that, you know, that's, that's all that matters. And, and I never really thought about that way. You know, you said spending, you know, five, six, seven minutes when every minute counts in a tournament, you're pulling in a big old black drum. Yeah, I could see where that would be, you know, a little bit frustrating or you wouldn't be able to appreciate it as much. Um, 
but yeah, you know, with, up here, I'll be honest with you. I can't say that I have caught a black drum on artificial. Mm-hmm. Is there guys here that are probably doing it? Yeah, they probably are. Um, but those black drum, they're, they're just so slow moving until you hook up to them and they're just kind of waddling along, you know, you'll see them just when the water's clear, just kind of just moseying along the rocks, you know, trying to get, pull stuff out of there. And that's kind of how I said, man, they're kind of just slow moving. This is the kind of the general area I keep seeing them in. Let me throw something stinky Carolina rigged. It's easy if the client, you know, hasn't fished a ton, you know, you can kind of shoot the shit for a little bit with your client and just kind of wait for, wait for them to hook up. But uh, yeah, most success on shrimp or fish bites or uh, Carolina rig. That's, that's how I do it up here. So you got redfish, black drum. I caught a largemouth bass with you. Um, what else, yes, what, yeah, what other, uh, what other fish are, or what other things go on at different times of the year for you? Are you fishing for other species or, or what, what does the year look for like for you? How do you break it up? Like you mentioned the fall is the Super Bowl, but what happens the rest of the yep. time? Yeah. So good, great question. You know, I, I think it's your whole myriad of your regular inshore species minus, you know, once you get to central Florida and south, 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 uh, you're catching snook, which I wish we had snook. Um, I've had a couple buddies catch some juvenile snook up here. Really? I have not. Um, it's, it's funny. Uh, you know, I've even had buddies catch permit up here in the Bay. No kidding. It's like, man, are these fish lost? Like, I don't know. It's totally, it's really weird. It's, it's not an everyday occurrence, but like in shallow sometimes up there in the Bay, they're catching permit. Yeah. Yeah. And Um, it's not every day. Do they, when, when they're, when, when you have a catch like that, are they fishing for another fish? Like, like, are they red fishing and they catch a permit or are they pompano fishing or like what, what, what's the most common kind of way to run into a permit up there? Yeah. I've known them just to be red fishing. And so they're like sight fishing red fish or just throwing out shrimp on popping corks or something like that. Both. Really? Both. Really? Yeah. But usually the ones that I've seen caught that have been, you know, just, just fishing with shrimp on the bottom and catch the random permit you know again i don't want to i don't want to pump it up like it's a once a once a week thing or something but every now and then you'll see a guy and he's like got a permit and we're all like wow have you ever seen any big permit caught like that nothing huge nothing like what you guys are catching down there they're usually smaller ones Mm -hmm. and and then like i said juvenile snook uh which i'm like i don't know how they're up here because it gets pretty cold up here right but um, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't have the answer. I'd like to maybe talk to a biologist about it. Um, maybe they can answer it. Yeah. You know, you have a lot of, a lot of good, good biologists and scientists and stuff on your podcast. So yeah, yeah, I'd love to pick their brain on why. Well, I mean, um, who knows? I mean, I think that when the, when the water's warm, you'll have, um, fish move, move north, but you know, once they hit a cold front, they, they either die or get pushed out. Yeah. And so they're not going to establish themselves as a, as a resident population. They're going to be more like moving through right. there because they, they just can't handle the wintertime temperatures up there. Or maybe they can, who knows? I don't know. But I mean, there, yeah. there's, there's a lot of different, um, different fish that at, at, when we, when you find them, it doesn't seem like something that could be a target species. Like for us, it would be bluefish maybe. Like in the in the right. keys, we would see bluefish occasionally, and and I would just think, well, that's that's just kind of weird. They must be just moving through. But as you see it year after year after year, then you start thinking, okay, well, it is at this time of the year, and it is generally in this type of a place. So 
on a nice day, I'm just going to run through there and see if I see any bird activity or whatever. And sure enough, you leave the dock and you have something tied on with wire and everything. You're like, okay, well, we could come across bluefish today. So they yeah. actually, you've learned enough about these different species to where it's actually like you did actually target those. Like I could see how, yeah. you know, if you, if you paid attention to those random permit catches and you're like, okay, well, we're going to be red fishing uh, this way, but we're also going to have a rod out just on the bottom. We, who knows? We could catch a permit. And then if you did that, yeah, great point. if you did that like three, three years in a row, well, you're the resident permit expert up there, I guess. Yeah. But I, I don't know. It's, 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 it's kind of fun to, to have any sort of kind of different species. What about big jacks? Ooh, buddy. Yeah. So that's a, that's a great point that, you know, you had asked me kind of, what we target so fall you know you can you can target redfish year around here and i'd say i'm you know i don't want to say like i'm a subject matter expert on redfish but if you look on my instagram most of my pictures are redfish or black drum uh it's kind of just I, I i know how to target them and i always tell people like a redfish is a redfish whether you're in you know the upper keys lower keys or you're in north carolina or you're in texas like they kind of all do the same thing you just kind of got to adjust your how you're going to target that fish um and so I, I feel like i know redfish pretty well but um redfish trout spanish mackerel um and then in the summer just like we get those big schools of redfish in the fall we get huge schools of jacks and those are so fun uh i love catching jacks you know clients love catching them and the jacks that we get up here are massive. You know, wow. I remember catching them growing up in East central Florida and they'd be, you know, 20 inches maybe, but these jacks up here are freight trains. We call them Choctahatchee tunas mm -hmm. up here. And so I've always got a top water plug, uh, tied on in the summer and they do the same thing. You'll just see them busting at the surface, motor up to them. They're usually in a feeding frenzy, throw that top water out there and just start ripping it as hard as you can in there in that school. And it's usually fish on and, uh, super fun to catch do you see the jacks and the redfish mixed together sometimes sometimes yeah this summer we had a school of about like 50 to 60 reds that we would see kind of every now and then mixed in with that school of jacks because they're all feeding on those men right. um, and you know so it's not uncommon to see a school of reds mixed in with the school oh, of jacks man, both of those species are literally apex predators um i mean oh, yeah. a, a school of redfish is going to eat everything that is in front of it, but a school of jacks right. could even be more right. aggressive and they have a little bit better mouth structure for, for, uh, eating like menhaden and stuff like that. I mean, a little bit larger teeth, uh, they have got the crushers yep. in their throat. They seem to be a little more aggressive. They got the, the fast swimming tail rather than the, yep. than the, you know, the, I don't know what you call that. The softer, soft ray tail, like a, like a redfish or a bass or, um, yeah. you know, that, that seems like a, a slower fish, even like a grouper has kind of that where you have like a tuna, right. a jack, a bonefish, a permit, they have that forked tail, which typically is a faster fish and a jack is right. probably faster than a redfish, I guess, maybe at least on a, yeah. at least on a, uh, a, a, a longer stretch a redfish might be like that tail structure and the way that a redfish is built seems to be like more of an ambush kind of thing like a largemouth bass right. a grouper those type of fish so maybe on a short little little you know four feet could probably match a jack but i think over a hundred feet a jack is gonna probably
probably be much faster, which is kind of interesting yep. to see them together. But I mean, where they're going to be where the bait is, right? Like they're going to yep. be absolutely. They're going to be where the bait is. But I love those big jacks. I think that is yeah, they're fun, and it's like you said, you know, the I, you know, the fork tail. They're just they're just designed and over thousands of years, probably, you know, they're just, they're very aerodynamical and just packed into like, you know, they're little freight trains. So, uh, not little, but they're, they're big freight trains. So what's a big yeah, jack uh, up there? What, 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 I mean, like if you were to see one, could you see one 25 pounds, 30 pounds? Yeah, you could. Absolutely. Wow. That's yeah, a great jack. Absolutely. That's a great one, man. Yep. Um, and what time of the year does that happen? Fall? That's, that's summer. summer. Um, so yeah. And which is a good fallback because summertime fishing up here can be a little bit slower. You know, it's hot. The fish are getting lethargic. So kind of if the redfish aren't cooperating, you know, we got Spanish mackerel in the summer and we got oh. jacks that we can target. So it's a good, it's a good fallback. Um, but really, really in the summer, we're probably, I had a buddy yesterday, he got into some, um, but we're, we're going to see them start to move out once we, once we get a good cold front. Uh huh. And then what happens with the cold front? Does that stir up other fish that you're fishing for? Yeah. So, you know, like anything pre-front fishing, if I know that a cold front's coming through, I mean, obviously you got your barometric pressure dropping, the fishing, fishing's good. So fall's good for trout. You know, we don't get those big gator trout like Peter Deeks is catching, you know, over in like Mosquito Lagoon or Indian river, but, um, or South, South Florida, but, uh, you know, the trout bite can be really good. Um, pre and post front, uh, here, same with the redfish in the fall. So right on. So you're fishing pretty much all year round. You got an incredible yeah. tourism area right there. Yeah. Um, you got, and you've built these different services up for, for all these different things, man. It sounds like you really got it going on. Um, that's awesome, man. Good job. Appreciate it, man. Thank you. Yeah. So, uh, if you want to go fishing, uh, with Quinn, He's told you how to do it. Look up the ranger angler all over the place. That's your that's your um, that's your handle on pretty much all the different social medias, I think. And uh, yep. in the Brave Waters Brave Waters Guide Service, if if a serviceman is interested in that, like what what's the protocol there? Like if if, hey, if somebody um, listening is like that, that's me. That's what I want to do. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That's a great question. Um, shoot me or Scott Brown. Uh, again, like Tom said, Ranger Angler, shoot me a DM. Uh, my, you can find my phone number too on, on social, uh, same with Scott. Scott's at push it good inshore. You know, he's the, uh, he's the co-business owner. Just shoot us a DM, give us a phone call and we'd be glad to kind of discuss further. Awesome, man. That's great, man. I love to see you guys doing that. That's, that's really a great opportunity for so many different people. Um, yeah. All right, Quinn. That's awesome, man. Thanks for being on the show today. I really appreciate it. I look forward to getting down to that 30A area again. And it, as, uh, as I did before, as soon as I get down there, I'll give you a call or beforehand because you'll be booked up if I, if I just give you a call when I get there. So I'm going to cool. make sure I do it beforehand and, uh, book some time with you and, and we'll go fishing again. That'll be awesome. Maybe it won't be a 30 degree it. drop this time. Hopefully, fingers crossed. Hey. I appreciate your time, Tom. Yeah, I had a, it was great catching up with you. Great seeing you again. And uh, yeah, really appreciate the opportunity. All right, that's it. All right, we'll have another guest just like Quinn, the Ranger Angler, next week. So make sure you tune in. And that's it for this week. We'll see you later.
A life that has the stories to back it. A life to be proud of. It's a Winchester life. Yeah, baby. 6-8 Western. Oh, I'm old there, baby. Right there. Tune in every Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. In Wild Country, rules were not created by man. Don't miss Wild Country, Wednesdays from 7 to 11 p.m. Eastern. Presented by Primos. Speak the language. Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment.